In these uncertain times, it can be hard to make sense of everything that is happening across the world today. This is why the registry continues to bring its grounded and informed news coverage of everything real estate, to keep you informed and better prepared to meet the challenges of the industry. We are able to deliver the reliable news you trust because of generous readers who support our work. Thank you to your commitment to journalism, especially now. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can join us at theregistrysf.com in San Francisco and theregistryps.com in Seattle. Today, we sit down with Rex Heim. Rex is the president and CEO of the California Business Properties Association, CBPA, is the recognized voice of all aspects of the commercial real estate, retail, industrial, real estate industry in California, representing the largest commercial real estate consortium with over 10,000 industry members. Established in 1972, CBPA proudly serves as the legislative and regulatory advocate for property owners, tenants, developers, retailers, contractors, land use attorneys, brokers, and other professionals in the industry by representing their interests at the California State Capitol in Sacramento and in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Rex. People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything with an easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theater, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among other industry leaders and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result? An unbeatable combination that leads to success. And that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at www.hacienda.org. Rex, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Vlad. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing just well. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Where do we find you today on uh, this uh, 3rd of July, sort of right as we entered the long uh, weekend? Well, I'm in the uh, Sacramento region in a, a small uh, town known as Loomis, which is uh, northeast of our, our capital. Great. Great. Thank you. Um, so, Rex, uh, by way of introduction, would you mind giving us a little bit of an overview of your organization, what you do there? maybe a little bit of a background in terms of how you got there and some of your, you know, uh, sphere of influence, if you will, um, on the industry. Sure. Uh, well, California Business Properties Association, or CBPA as we call it, was originally formed in 1972. A, uh, a group of, of retailers and shopping center owners had been approached by the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, and had been told they were going to be charged $500 a parking space each year. And if you can imagine the number of parking spaces there are at these huge shopping centers, et cetera, uh, it turned out they were gonna be paying more to the EPA than they were making. So they organized themselves, they went back to DC uh, and they were successful in defeating the effort to, to levy that fee. They came back home and they said, you know what? There will probably be other crazy ideas in the future, so let's get together and form a group. And they did. 
uh, and they created California Business Properties Association. And they were based in Southern California uh, until 1984 and then realized, you know, if we're going to be effective in this state, we've got to be where the action is. Of course, that's Sacramento in the capital. So they, uh, I joined them in 1984, uh, and they moved their operations up here, and we've been uh, fighting the good battle ever since. Uh, CBPA isn't just a, a legislative uh, activity-focused group. It also deals with the regulatory issues facing commercial real estate, because we all know about the Energy Commission and the rules and whatnot that they give us. Uh, water boards control the kind of water processing that we have. So we touch all the regulatory, we touch all the legislative stuff. Uh, and also in California, we have the initiative process. And so we're dealing with a particular measure this November, Prop 15, which I'll go into a little bit later. But uh, CBPA over the years has become the, the watchdog for the industry and also the focal point for all the other groups uh, at the national level. I think everyone knows there's the International Council of Shopping Centers. There's Building Owners and Managers Association and NAOP. And all three of those have affiliated with us at the state level. We represent all their local chapters and associations. And then IRM is a member uh, and on and on. All the, the different alphabet soups that we have in the commercial world. Uh, have affiliated with us, and we represent them in, in Sacramento. Um, and that's sort of a, a quick 30,000-foot uh, overview. Yeah, and it's and it's worth also noting uh, sort of how important the industry is to the overall California economy. Uh, can you give us a little bit of sort of an overview of, uh, you know, how you guys see the, you know, that size of the industry? Wow, that that's, that's a great question. And by the way, uh, just to start with, uh, there's over – Heck, over 6 billion square feet of leasable space in California that's in commercial property. So you can imagine how much that is. That's a lot of space. Uh, we house and, and provide office space and retail and restaurant space for literally hundreds of thousands of businesses. Uh, the retail community alone generates upwards of, of several billions of dollars each year. Uh as much as, as $3 billion in that and property taxes, another billions of dollars as well. And when you put in the employment factor, uh, it's it's hugely significant. So we are a, a major cog, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, wheel of California's economy. Do uh, multifamily associations also participate in, in your efforts? Well, we have some multifamily uh, groups such as IRAM, and they're involved with us. Uh, but most of the multifamily associate, uh, most of the multifamily groups would be rec uh, represented by the apartment association or uh, local apartment associations that they have. So, um, Rex, um, over the last you know decade, uh, commercial real estate in California has done very well. Um, I would I would argue probably one of its one of its kind of boom boom periods, and then. At the start of this year, everything kind of came came to a halt. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of how, you know, things were moving along and kind of what was on your agenda, you know, pre-COVID kind of towards the end of 2019. And then let's, after that, jump into sort of how things looked like, you know, back in February and March of this year when things started to sure. change a little bit. Sure. Well, as, as we entered this year, uh, we... Uh, we're gearing up to do battle against the uh, effort to create split roll tax in California. I know you're going to ask about that in a bit, so I won't go into that. But that was sort of the the big target. Uh, we also thought we might 
<clears throat> try to to move the uh, agenda on some of being more proactive, maybe seek some reform in the California Environmental Quality Act. And then everything came to a halt uh, and everything became COVID-19 focused. And we faced a whole bunch of new additional challenges. <clears throat> I, I, I think anybody who's listening to this recognizes that we have taken the strongest economy uh, in the United States, which has an amazing economy to begin with at that time, and shut it down. Uh, and uh, it is uh, it is particularly impactful because uh, restaurants, for instance, let's just start with them. Uh, they have huge challenges to begin with. Most restaurants don't make it beyond four or five years uh, under normal conditions. Um, under this thing where they've had to be closed down, uh, it's been a huge impact on them. Combining that now, uh, Vladi, with the fact that we have begun to reopen and now we're doing another reclosing. Uh, restaurants that are not able to do outdoor dining or perhaps are located where they can't necessarily do uh, appropriate takeout, those kind of restaurants are, are just probably going to disappear. Yeah. And, and that's really sad because uh, many, many of these are the small corner kind of restaurants that we all enjoy to go to with the with the family or, uh, you know, catch a quick bite on the way home. Uh, and uh, they're the ones most at risk. And then you have literally tens of thousands of small retailers who did not meet the essential definition to be allowed to be kept open during the shutdown initially. They've just now finally been able to uh, reopen. And hopefully this current upsurge in retail uh, won't result in them being closed back down as well, because in many instances, that'll be the death knell for them as well. I think it's really incumbent upon all of us to recognize that our slogan at CBPA is uh, uh, wear a mask, stay healthy, stay open. And uh, we really think that's an important message. I, I think all of us know that wearing a mask is a, a pain in the butt. Pardon my French. Uh, uh, I've got to tell you, I, I find it very discomforting. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that uh, these are different times and, and we've got to make sure we protect not just ourselves, but our customers, our employees and, and the folks who are, are walking by us. Yeah, definitely. And have you interacted directly with uh, any of the associations, uh, you know, specific to the restaurant industry and kind of what have been some of their their biggest issues? Yes, very much so. Uh, at the very get-go, the Restaurant Association, our association, and the uh, California Association of Retailers recognized how intertwined we were, and we started uh, working together and communicating and making proposals to the administration about how was the best way to uh, proceed towards reopening, what were the best methods and techniques and policies that could be implemented. Uh, many a weekend was spent with the governor's staff in developing those, which ultimately became the guidelines that the governor used uh, as he reopened uh, our various industries in California. Obviously, most recently, uh, we were working with the Restaurant Association when they were being used as a club to attack uh, commercial real estate in California. They refused to participate in that clubbing, shall we say, uh, because they understood that the, the greater good of the economy made them feel that way. And uh, that was the challenge that we faced with SB 939 from uh, Senator Weiner in the great city of San Francisco, uh, who felt that he could basically tell all commercial real estate leases in California that they were abrogated 
that people could stay in those spaces for a year and then walk away without paying. That was a huge overstep, one which all of us responded to very um, aggressively. Uh, and the measure was ultimately killed in the Appropriations Committee in the State Senate. There have been other efforts to uh, address the needs of tenants and landlords. Uh, other efforts uh, in the residential world have made sure that they provide a balanced approach for both the tenants and the landlords because property owners, as you well know, have been, let's just say this, the least recognized in this pandemic. Tenants were told to close their businesses by the state. Uh, then the Tenants were told they didn't need to pay their rent for a while by the state uh, or the local government. But at the same time, the uh, state wanted their business fees and their taxes to us. Property taxes had to be paid. Mortgage things had to be paid, et cetera, et cetera. So it became very apparent that no one was taking into account what was going on in the world of those who own property and uh, provided this space for the people to do their businesses. Uh, fortunately, uh, we defeated SB 939. And hopefully we will not see that return. Yeah. And and I think it's worthwhile mentioning uh, that SB 939 also affected other property types. So so even though we started our conversation around restaurants and kind of retailers, right, but this was sort of a, a broad sweeping measure uh, that, that affected exactly. every commercial real estate. Um, every commercial lease, every commercial lease in California was abrogated under the Wiener Bill. So office space and you name it. So. Uh, amazing concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so this was uh, this was a bit of a sort of an indication of kind, you know, kind of you know, um, some of the local politicians sort of trying to come in with some solutions and sort of show show some traction. Are, are there others like that that were that were you know originated out of other parts of the state that you know maybe not on the scale of SB nine three nine, but but are there some other measures that have kind of, you know, creeped through the system that uh, were equally as sort of challenging? Uh, well, not that impact commercial at this time. Uh, there are a number of, of measures uh, that are being considered uh, to uh, address the uh, residential side of things. Yep. Uh, for instance, there is a measure that would allow tenants to readjust their their there's a mandate. One bill would have tenants readjust their rate downwards. It started at 75% down and now it's down to like 25% down or whatever. It's just crazy. Uh, there's others that want to provide a mechanism within the state system whereby landlords will get credit towards if rent isn't paid, the rent that isn't paid could be used as a tax write-off over a period of time. There's other methods where there's other bills where the state is talking about providing funding to tenants. So there's a variety of other types of measures out there. Uh, we're obviously following all of them because uh, the whole concept of, of leasing and landlords and tenants and property ownership uh, is shared whether you are in a business property or just a residential property. So we work very closely together with our allies. Yeah, and and it's probably worth while noting that, that you're not just reacting to to these things, but are but are there you know proposals put forward that you know you guys are also sponsoring that are uh, you know providing some of these solutions to the industry? Exactly. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we we immediately started working with the administration uh, to try to address the reopening process. Uh, many a weekend we were doing Zoom calls. Uh, with his people uh, and the uh, restaurant people and the uh, retail folks and myself. And we would spend a few hours each weekend doing over that and developing these reopening processes. We also 
have have been very supportive of things that assist uh, small businesses through this process. So, I mean, we've, we've tried to be proactive. We've addressed, for instance, we tried to get the counties of California to waive the automatic 10% penalty on late uh, property tax payments that were due in April. We did not have a, a lot of luck on that. Uh, four counties in the state, though, did uh, provide another month to pay those taxes before any penalty was levied. San Francisco was one of those. So congrats on, on that front. We also have, have attempted to address with the administration stopping some of the uh, regulatory processes that have been established over a year ago or so that were to kick in, for instance, this July. Now that we're there, we're in it, and ask for them perhaps to delay those implementation of these new rules and these new regulations since the world that we're in is not the world that we were in or anticipated being. Yeah. Unfortunately, the administration has not to date addressed any of that. And we have a lot of new regulations that are kicking into place that businesses are going to be forced to address. And it's going to become more challenging as we try to reopen. So those are just a couple of examples. So we, we also reached out to the Judicial Council. You may be aware of that they issued a stay, for lack of a better term, on proceedings that would impact CEQA, unlawful detainers, uh, and, and things like that. They did nine different rules. We addressed two of those rules, Rule 1, which dealt with unlawful detainers, Rule 9, which dealt with uh, CEQA and the processing of those kind of legal uh, opportunities. They have since amended the Rule 9, so that's not going to be as long-term as it originally was, and we're glad about that. Unfortunately, Rule 1 is still in place, and they have not seen fit to adjust the court processes available to folks for that just yet. We'll, we'll see what happens there. So there's a whole myriad of, of, of things that, you know, when you when you start to lay these things out, Claudia, it's almost like this. You're putting together a puzzle, a crossword, not a crossword puzzle, but one of those where all these different little pictures come together and make a real picture. Sure. And it's kind of difficult at the beginning. And then as you get them closer and closer to the end, you go, oh, my God, that's what it is, a picture of. Well, yeah, putting together the picture in California can be pretty scary at times. Yeah. So obviously, the pandemic has heightened the awareness of uh, a lot of these things. And uh, it's probably, I imagine, going to be a moving target in terms of what happens to the industry and who tries to bring in some new rules and kind of regulations and, you know, things like that. So it's an, so it's an evolving process, I would argue. We are coming up on an election, uh, you know, year. There's, there's, there's a bunch of things getting put on the ballot. Give us a little bit of an overview of sort of some of this sort of, you know, most immediate kind of things that, that, that are coming up that, that will be impactful to the industry. Some awareness of what, what we should think about that. There is a, a number of, of measures that we'll be voting on in November. Uh, matter of fact, let's see, I think we go from 14 through like 22 or something, but uh, it's everything from stem cell research to uh, kidney dialysis. But the measures that I think most of us want to pay attention to are first and foremost, Proposition 15, uh, which is the, uh, would create split roll tax in California. In California, since its inception, in the constitution of our of our state, property has always been taxed the same way. It didn't matter what property was, residential, agriculture, uh, business, whatever. <clears throat> Prop 13 was adopted by the voters in 1978. And all it did was set up the system whereby property would, how the system, how property would be taxed. And, and since you probably have listeners that weren't around in 1978, very simply, what it does, it says you buy a piece of property, 
that is your base year. 1% of that is what you get taxed. And then that can be increased 2% every year thereafter, unless you do some sort of major tenant improvement to it or improvement to your house or whatever. Otherwise, you know exactly what your property tax is going to be paid, uh, costing you for years out. Uh, you have certainty. You're not going to be all of a sudden surprised with a new bill. Prior to 1978, there were actually people losing their homes because uh, when they bought a 11, I know this is going to come shock, but when they bought their $9,500 home and suddenly it was worth 30000 <laughs> though <Yeah>. we wish, <laughs> those days were back again, suddenly it was worth 30000 and they were coming and giving you your tax bill. People were literally losing their homes because they were retired or whatever. Uh, so that's what led to Prop 13. So this system provides certainty for everybody. Under the new process, that would change. All commercial property, all business properties, all non-residential property would be retaxed, uh, reassessed, excuse me, within every three years. So three years at a maximum, it has to be reassessed, but you could be reassessed more often. In other words, you could be reassessed annually, you could be reassessed every other year, whatever, but you can never be reassessed any less than three or three years. So yeah, and and if I could just ask a quick, uh, quick question there, Rex, are there models in other states that are doing something similar like that? Form a basis for this for this new proposition? Yeah, there are some states which have multiple roles. They might have a role for what is the tax for agriculture, a tax for subsets of agriculture, a tax for uh, this, that, and the other. So there are, are different types of. of processes around the country. There are many states which are modeled after Prop 13, uh, which they adopted uh, after we adopted ours in 1978. Uh, so those remain in place. Some states don't even have a property tax. So, um, you know, it, right. it's it's varies. But what would happen here is, uh, for instance, all property has to be reassessed. And that would mean uh, our new base here, no matter when you had bought it before, Instead of it being 2000 or 2005 or 1995 or whatever, would suddenly be 2020, and that would be your new base year. So you can imagine some people are going to be shocked at the value uh, at increase of their taxes because the value of their property has gone up significantly, and uh, sure. they're going to be surprised. The assessors of California have come out opposed to this measure. They say it's going to be very, very difficult to implement. Uh, they believe it will cost probably close to a billion dollars just to get it set up and will cost each year to implement between four and five hundred million dollars. The county of L.A. has indicated they'll have to hire several hundred, perhaps as many as 500 more assessors. So that'll be up and down the state. For those of you in the marketplace, you know, there really aren't that many assessors to begin with. Uh, so they're going to have to be found, trained, brought into the process. Uh, and then go out and do this job in, in three years. It's going to be a nightmare, so they're opposed to it. The proponents of the measure claim that it does not impact agriculture, but the California Farm Bureau and a large number of other ag groups have come out against it because in reality it does indeed uh, impact agriculture. If you grow strawberries or if you grow wheat or cucumbers or lettuce, you're right. You're, you would not be impacted. But if you are a vineyard, if you're a wine guy, if you uh, have orchards, any kind of trees, all of those will get be taxed as if they were our kind of properties. Also, if you have a processing facility 
or you have a place where you keep your tractors, or you have any of the kind of things that are normally uh, adjacent and, and part of the agriculture processing, uh, that in turn will also be reassessed. So uh, there's going to be a significant impact on our food costs in California, uh, should this be uh, go through. And and then the small businesses are going to be impacted because our polling, and I think everybody knows, in California, when business gets taxed, that tax has to be passed on. In some places, it'll be passed on to tenants. And what the tenants are going to do, they're going to pass it on to their customers. So our polling showed us that Californians understand that when you tax business, you're basically paying it yourself. They also understand, uh, amazingly, the large number that uh, if you uh, own a home today and they create split roll tax, the homeowners are next. I know that people might think that's a real stretch, but absolutely everybody, every single organization that is involved in the split roll tax campaign supporting it has called for the repeal of Proposition 13 for the last 40 years. They have felt this is constrained. The tax eaters want always to have the opportunity to gain more money, uh, whereas the taxpayers would like to constrict that. And homeowners are huge taxpayers. So it is it is full of huge problems, huge, huge, huge. It's a uh, somewhere between eight and twelve billion dollar tax and tax increase. And that, as you know, property taxes are paid each year. So that's not just a one-time $12 million tax, that's year after year after year, which right. keeps growing. And the the proponents have said uh, that this they're making it all about schools and communities. Well, last point on this is of the $12 billion, $4 billion, only $4 billion goes to schools. The remaining eight, after you, and there might be costs that they had to pay for, eight will go to local government. Whether the funds... When the funds go to schools or the school or the funds go to local government, there is no guidance as to how that money gets used. It doesn't say, let's reduce class size, let's hire more teachers, let's get more up-to-date school facilities or or school books or whatever. Let's provide better food for our kids. None of that. Uh, and for the local government, nothing as well. All the people who observe this believe that this will be used to backfill pensions where there are huge shortfalls. Uh, and its impact to do that is just hugely significant and very, very bad for the economy. The Legionalist Office of California said we'll lose probably upwards of 150,000 jobs and yeah. thousands of businesses. So this is obviously a big one. Um, this is on the ballot for November, correct? correct? November 3rd. And uh, yep. then there is uh, Prop 20, which is the same as Prop 10. Prop 10 was the rent control measure that was defeated in 2018. That yep. measure, unfortunately, uh, is back. Uh, we're, we're obviously leading the charge to defeat that as well, along with our other allies. And uh, uh, that's hugely problematic. There's also a, a measure that the realtors have put on, which is kind of complicated, Vladi, but I should share very quickly. Right now, a lot of uh, seniors in California... Uh, don't want to sell their homes because if they go to build, a, pardon me, go to buy a smaller home, it probably costs more than the home that they're living in now. So uh, what this does, it allows those folks to sell their home and then to move that base year to their new residence so that 
uh, folks would be encouraged to move out of some of their homes, to move into smaller homes, opening up the marketplace for more housing, et cetera. And uh, this is huge. Right now in California, you can do that within some counties who have chosen to allow that, but this would allow it to be done statewide. So you could move your residents yeah. from San Francisco to uh, Orange County if you wanted to, for instance. Uh, and then there's yep. one other one, uh, which I think people should pay attention to, and that is uh, to address some of the criminal reforms that we did over the last decade that resulted in, in a lot of abuses. For instance, we have some definitions now that have allowed human trafficking in children not to be considered a, a violent crime, allowed to have, in certain circumstances, rape not to be considered a violent crime, uh, to allow people to walk with shopping carts out of stores uh, with up to $950 of goods. Police will not come, so they're not stopped. They actually take calculators in, and so that restores a, a, a much more manageable number on that. Uh, and it's it's very wisely drawn and drafted. It also allows for the continued use of DNA in California. As you know, uh, we have had some very recent successes in freeing people who were not guilty by doing these DNA stuff. We've also been able to capture some really bad people. The Golden State Killer, the East Area Rapist, would never have been caught had it not been for DNA. So it also reinforces that. So there's some very important measures. Those are probably the ones that are most important, I think, to us involved in the, the business of, of, of retail restaurants and uh, uh, offices. Yeah. So Rex, uh, just to kind of circle back how we started our discussion. So you work with a number of industry organizations and associations. Do, do you mind just for the benefit of our you know listeners kind of giving us a little bit of an overview of who, who they are and not necessarily describe them, but I think if you just sort of name the, you know, the alphabet soup of all of these guys, <laughs> I think we'll, we'll sort of get it. And where I'm going with this is then the next, the follow-up question I'm going to have is, you know, um, you know, industry engagement, right? And, 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 and how the industry can sort of help some of these efforts, whether it's through those chapters or with you guys directly? Sure. Um, well, as I mentioned before, California Business Properties Association um, represents basically the entire plethora of, of commercial real estate organizations. So um, NAOP, the National Association of Industrial Office Properties, uh, Commercial Development yeah. Real Estate Association is represented. They have many chapters throughout the state, including in San Francisco, uh, which is called the San Francisco Bay Area NAOP. Uh, we have IRAM, the Institute of Real Estate Managers, and they also have uh, groups throughout the state and including San Francisco. Uh, we represent BOMA California and the various BOMA local associations. BOMA San Francisco is one, for example. They're a great leader throughout the state. And uh, then there's things like CRU, the uh, Commercial Real Estate Women. Uh, there's ACRE. There's uh, NAREIT, uh, Air CRE. That's out of Los Angeles. So uh, there's a huge, huge number of different groups, and all of them are participatory on our board of directors. Uh, we work with them in any number of ways and also assist them when they're battling a local issue whenever we can. Uh, and uh, there's different councils. There's the uh, BOMA California. There's the NAOP State Council. Uh, there's the IRM State uh, Industry Group. So we provide a as much as possible information on a regular basis and work with all these groups, yep. et cetera. 
So if people from the industry would like to, you know, galvanize or sort of, you know, help some of these efforts, uh, is the best venue venue to do that through their local sort of chapters of these associations? Uh, can they come to you guys directly? Give us a little bit of a, sort of a, you know, maybe maybe a plug for your organization, right? And and how they can they can get get to you guys. Sure. Well, we're big proponents of of being involved with their local associations. Uh, we think that's very important. Uh, we also have opportunities for companies to, you know, directly be involved with CBPA. Many, many are. We have several hundred uh, that are direct members of CBPA in addition to being members through either their NAOP or BOMA or IRM or whatever. And ICSC, for instance, doesn't have local chapters, uh, but uh, they're obviously very much involved in California. So uh, if you want to learn more about CBPA, you can go to www.cbpa.com and uh, we have a website there which we we try to keep up to date. Uh, and right now we have not added in the fact that the ballot measure numbers came out yesterday. So we're still talking about defeat split role, but that will be modified to specifically target Prop 15. And uh, uh, so I encourage people to do that. Uh, obviously, they can also uh, reach out to me. I'm at rexheim at cbpa.com and we'll get back to them so they can ask further information to either of those places. And uh, I really, though, also encourage them, though, to participate locally because that's where they can interface more readily with folks within their own industry and who knows what kind of deals they might cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Rex, thank you very much for this um, very insightful con conversation. Uh, stay safe. And, uh, yeah, we'll be watching uh, very closely uh, what happens in November, not just on a national level, but locally in California as well. Vladi, same with you. And, and to everyone out there, stay healthy. Thanks, Vladi. 